Anyone who remotely paid attention to movie-going culture during the late 1990s and early 2000s knows that the historical epic genre received a rebirth in Hollywood. With the success of films like Mel Gibson's Braveheart and even Lord of the Rings to some extent, Hollywood felt that audiences were ready to accept films once again that were either greater than two hours in length or about historical events. In particular, the ancient world of classical Greece and Rome made a huge comeback, something that fell out of vogue with the end of the 1960s sword and sandal craze. With the critical, but not necessarily financial, success of Ridley Scott's Gladiator, Hollywood was inundated with a flood of ancient-themed films that sought to capitalize on the sudden renewed interest in the Greeks and Romans. 300, The Passion of the Christ, Centurion, The Eagle, HBO's Rome and Star's Spartacus television series. We even had niche movies, subjects like the Trojan War in 2004's Troy, and 2004's King Arthur, set in late antique Britain. As an easily impressionable history geek who loved Gladiator, I tried to see every one of them. One peculiar film slipped by my sights, though, a film simply titled Alexander. Despite having a highly respected director like Oliver Stone, a high budget for 2004 standards with $155 million in the bank, a star-studded cast with faces like Colin Farrell and Angelina Jolie, and a soundtrack by Vangelis of Blade Runner fame, it seems like it had everything going for it. But it seemed to slip the public's eye as well. Critics and audiences panned the film, and it barely made enough money to cover its budget, and it has since been pointed to as the shining example of the declining interest and eventual burnout of the public's desire for historical and epic works that occurred at the time. Alexander is a film based upon the titular character, Alexander the Great. Far from being a straightforward narrative, it is a plot that careens back and forth over a period stretching some 80 years. The narrative structure seems bent on detailing some of the perceived key moments of Alex's life, with the battles of Gaugamela and the Hydaspes, his youth and death, and perhaps most controversially, his many personal and amorous relationships, both hetero and homosexual. Colin Farrell, a fine actor in his own right, who, in my opinion, has made a number of poor film decisions over the years, is the lead role as the Macedonian king himself. And now, I'm not sure whether to classify his acting as laughable or commendable. He ranges from screaming and passionate to subdued and tame on a heel turn, and it makes me question if it was an intentional design choice to emulate a stage performance. The actors as a whole are relatively decent and play their parts rather well, partially barring Angelina Jolie. Well, here's the issue. There's way too many characters to keep track of. Even someone like me, who has a moderately solid grasp of the characters in Alexander's life, I just received a flurry of introductions to people who are not easily discernible if they are important to the story or not. Compressing historical events and characters for storytelling convenience is understandable, but it would be very difficult for any average moviegoer to manage to keep track of the campaign, nor if many if not most of the characters that are put forth. I mentioned before the focus on relationships for Alexander, and this is perhaps the weakest area of the film. Oliver Stone chose to make his film focus on the ties of Alexander, and how those relationships, whether they be romantic, platonic, or familial, impacted him and his worldview. I thought that the relationship between Alexander and Philip was surprisingly well done, and to some extent the relationship between Alex and Olympias, despite the uncomfortable Oedipal tones that are intimated. The problem for me lies in how much time they actually spend on the love square between Alexander, his best friend and lover Hyphestion, the eunuch Bagoas, and Alexander's principal wife, 
Roxana. It also must be addressed that in 2004, the on-screen portrayal of homosexual relationships and intimacy was still rather shocking to some audiences, despite the rather depiction of sexual attitudes of the ancient Greece and Macedonians. I find it less offensive than I do meandering and a waste of time, where in a film of even three and a half hours, it feels like it's spending way too much time focusing on all the intimacy scenes with as much detail as it does. In part, this connects to where I think Oliver Stone was doomed to failure. He clearly wanted to tell this story, but he was limited to the film medium and the limitations of a film running time. The life of Alexander the Great is not something that can be told dramatically over a single movie. It is so dense and action-packed with many characters in it that it would almost have to be given a television miniseries like the critically acclaimed HBO Rome or John Adams series to allow for the proper pacing and digestion for audiences. Stone himself admitted that if he had unlimited budget and time, he'd be making multiple Alexander films, and it certainly shows. Now that I've cleared the error on problem areas, why don't I discuss why I love this movie? Hollywood has a tendency to absolutely butcher any sense of historical accuracy in their productions, mainly because of reasons like dramatic license and budgetary concerns, which isn't to say I would get anal over every single detail that is out of place. Well, except maybe napalm lace catapult missiles and fire arrows, that's a bit much. Alexander, on the other hand, is a treat to watch for those relatively well-versed in ancient history. Oliver Stone was assisted on the project by author Robin Lane Fox, one of the most influential Alexander biographers of the last 50 years, who apparently makes a cameo in the cavalry charge at Galgamela. And clearly, Oliver Stone did his research while making the film. That isn't to say that the film doesn't take historical license by conflating certain events for narrative convenience, like the Battle of the Hydaspes with the Siege of the Malloy, or doesn't have its inaccurate moments, like modern Arabic spoke by ancient Persian troops. It certainly is an outlier, though, into how much effort is done to accurately recreate the ancient worlds of Macedonia and Babylon. Some of the little details I enjoyed include such things like a disparity between the accents of Macedonians as Greek as being Irish and British English respectively, in order to signify their slight differences, except for Olympias who has this odd Russian femme fatale thing going for her. I don't really understand where that's coming from. Maybe the whole snake priestess thing, but whatever. The ancient world is full of color and bright patterns, instead of your standard sand and pale marble, along with the inspiration of actual archaeological finds as the basis for the set and costume design. The little character moments of the film, such as speeches, character quirks, and actions of those involved, are ripped directly from Arian and Plutarch's works. Speaking of which, the character of Alexander is captured rather well, despite the problems of too much focus on his relationships, as I mentioned before. But it manages to get a rather nuanced portrayal of the man, rather than the godlike image or caricature that he is often imagined to be. Some of the interpretations I tend to disagree with, like the emphasis on his growing instability over the course of the campaign, his world-unifying philosophies, or vague hints to an Oedipal complex, but I am glad that not one point is too argued strongly. And Stone tries to give us the various viewpoints that Alexander has engendered over the millennia. Probably the most well done, and my favorite part of the film by far, is its battle sequences. I can almost certainly say that the Battle of Galgamela, and to a lesser extent, the Battle of the Hydaspes, is among the most historically accurate depictions of ancient combat in a Hollywood production out there. If there was an ancient world equivalent uh, to John Keegan's Faces of Battle, 
This scene could be it. With a fog of war, dust kicked up by the movement of thousands of men, the presences of light armed skirmishers, the lack of equipment uniformity, the procession of the phalanx using instruments, and the movement of cavalry divisions are all a nice touch. It also doesn't immediately succumb to the trope of a breakdown of unit cohesion into one-on-one melee so popular in other films like Gladiator. Instead, it shows the focus on unit cohesion. It also can get into how brutal and vile warfare really was, with improvised weaponry like rocks to club men to death, the gore and dirt that would cover the soldiers' bodies and clothing throughout the course of the battle, and it captures the anguish of of a terrified young phalangite lining before the initial push. It captures everything I could have asked for in a battle sequence that remains dramatic, yet accurate. And it's a shame that it hasn't really been matched in its care for detail. Maybe besides the 17th century Tertio Pike film, Alatriste. To sum up my feelings, Alexander has a lot of problems. It really isn't a film that should be seen by people who are newbies to the background of the historical world or Alexander the Great. And the theatrical and director's cuts are, admittedly, mediocre films. The ultimate and final cuts, though, are certainly worth watching, and they hold a special place in my library. And I hope that Alexander will no longer be seen for its failures, but rather held up as an example for other projects in Hollywood to strive for. The depiction of history by Hollywood is rather poor, and while I don't believe that the maxim of absolute perfection in historicity should always be forced upon the makers of film and television, it should be made clear that there is a genuine interest in the idea that films can be made to a higher historical accountability, and that sometimes the truth is more exciting than fiction. Thank you for listening to my rambles upon this film. I sincerely apologize for the interruption of shows in the past month or so. Things have been a bit complicated on my end, and along with a combination of poor scheduling, it hasn't been too productive. I thought that I should provide some indication that I am still alive, and I should be continuing the show within the next few weeks with more vigor than ever. So thank you all for joining in, and until next time, this has been the Hellenistic Age Podcast. <laughs>